0: Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Recent research indicates highly sensitive people make up approximately 30% of the population. And on this episode, we'll find out more about what it means to be a highly sensitive individual, why
1: sensitivity has a negative stigma, and how you can embrace sensitivity. Joining us is Andre Solo, co-author with Jan Graneman of the new book, Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. Andre, we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Why did you and Jen decide to write the book?
2: Yeah, you know, so I think this is a very personal topic for both of us. Um, Both Jen and myself are sensitive people. um, And we, at least for myself, for a lot of my life, I did not realize that. So as a child, of course, I was always a sensitive kid. I didn't use that word about myself as a boy. I don't think I liked that word about myself. Um, But I remember in kindergarten, I did fine in class, you know, it was... Quiet classroom, you're you're focused on specific things. But then when I get out to recess, suddenly there are you know hundreds of kids running everywhere. Kids are screaming, laughing, playing, fighting. There's just so much going on. I would get overstimulated. And I didn't realize why. I didn't even know that I was overstimulated. I just knew I kind of couldn't handle this loud, chaotic playground. And so every recess. I would sneak off and hide, and I found the perfect hiding spot, which was this uh, like storm sewer pipe nearby, and I would crawl in there just like it was nice and quiet and hang out until recess was over, and I would go back when the bell rang, and that worked just great until people realized where I was hiding, and when the kid's hiding in the sewer pipe, that is not a good sign. It causes a lot of problems, uh, so that was the first time that my sensitivity kind of came up in a way where it was like, what is this about me? Why am I different from others, and I started to think of it as something wrong with me, really. And it wasn't until much later in my life that I began to understand scientifically what it means to be sensitive as a personality trait and how many people are sensitive, how common that is, and how it's actually a great strength. And I slowly started to embrace it about myself.
0: Yeah. Talk to us about what is scientifically different about how how a highly sensitive brain works.
2: Absolutely. So I think we should start by just talking about what it means to be sensitive, because I think we use this word a lot of different ways. I think a lot of times when we say sensitive, we use it to mean someone is weak or fragile or they overreact to things. And that is not what sensitive means as a personality trait. So if you're sensitive, it means that you're wired at a brain level to process all information more deeply. And that means that anything you bring in, whether it's sensory information, you know, about the room around you or emotional information, like noticing that smile on someone's face that they just barely show a hint of before they manage to hide it. All those things, your brain spends a little more time, a little more mental resources on kind of sifting through them and looking at them and what do they mean? And as a result, it means that sensitive people tend to uh, notice details that other people miss. We tend to be very tuned to very subtle things like the the subtle hint of oak in a good glass of Chardonnay, right? Um, And we also tend to be able to make connections that other people might not make or might not see right away. And so sensitive people tend to be very creative. They tend to be very aware of their surroundings and aware of people and what people are thinking or feeling, um, and, of course, there's a flip side to this deep processing that the highly sensitive brain does, which is that it's it takes a lot of resources to process all that information so deeply. So if you end up in a situation that's highly stimulating or chaotic or crowded or loud, sometimes highly sensitive people will get overstimulated. And that's what I was experiencing on the playground all those years back.
1: And I love the fact that you have dedicated the book to anyone who is softer inside than they let on. Tell us more about that.
2: Right. So, I mean, when we talk about sensitivity, this is not a rare trait. Uh, roughly 30 percent of everyone is highly sensitive. Of course, everyone's sensitive to some degree. We all have a sensitive side, um, but it kind of exists on a continuum, just like most other traits. So most people are in the middle, their average sensitivity. There are some who are low on sensitivity and there's about 30 percent who score high for sensitivity. And those numbers are the same for both men and women and people of all genders. But you don't usually think of like one in three of the people, you know, as being particularly sensitive. And that's because a lot of people hide it. A lot of people who are sensitive people either know that about themselves, but they know it's kind of like frowned on and they try to conceal it or downplay it. Or like me, and I think like a lot of sensitive men don't even realize that you're a sensitive person. You don't use that word about yourself. So an example Sensitive people tend to score very high for empathy because they are so tuned into all those little social, emotional cues. I never would have called myself a highly empathetic person or any more empathetic than anyone else. But I did know that I tend to be able to read people really well I can kind of tell what they're thinking or what their true motive is or that something is off, even if they're not saying it. And I think that there's probably a lot of sensitive people out there who do use other terms to describe themselves and they don't realize this is all part of the package of being a sensitive person.
0: What's different about the deep processing of information in a highly sensitive person compared to how most of us would take something in?
2: Right. So it's it's really not that sensitive people have a superpower. It's not that every sensitive person is like a high IQ genius. Um, there is a link between sensitivity and giftedness, but it's not because we're necessarily smarter or anything else like that. Um, sensitive people basically spend more of their mental energy uh, on the same information that everyone else is working with. So the brain is kind of designed to filter out a lot of things. If you're sort of walking around your day to day life, you don't need to notice every tiny detail. Uh, So your brain filters out a lot of them. The sensitive brain filters out slightly less, right? And that means it spends more time kind of crunching through the things it's bringing in. And that might look like um, taking a lot of time to reflect and contemplate. It might look like um, Pausing to think about small details. It might mean taking longer to make a decision because you're doing more research before you decide or because you have a lot of different questions you want to answer first before you make a final decision. Those are what that kind of deep processing looks like on the outside. On the inside, it is actually a, a sort of a different pattern of brain activity. And there's been a number of fascinating fMRI studies. One, um showed people sort of pictures that were slightly different from each other. If you've ever done those kind of picture puzzles where it's like, oh, what's different between these two images? That kind of thing. And they found not only that sensitive people actually on average took slightly longer to, to answer um, because they were thinking longer with the information, but they also showed a lot more activation in areas all across the brain, including areas of course related to you know visual detail. But also areas that are about going beyond surface level information and looking deep into the kind of the bigger issues of something. And that's not necessarily valuable when you're just finding the difference in pictures, but it is very valuable in things like business and things like relationships and things like, uh, planning a, a goals and plan for your life. And in terms of just sort of, uh, you know, innovation and creativity, that's a big strength of, of sensitive people is they tend to be highly creative. They tend to be, um, able to see things that others don't. And creativity is valuable in the arts, but it's also valuable in science and business. That's where innovation comes from. So it has this kind of payoff to process more deeply.
0: We're honored you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And if you're like us, your pet is a member of the family. We've had 15 dogs over the years, most of them rescues.
1: They've each been unique characters with their own likes and dislikes in terms of food. Lately, we've been feeding them Nom Nom, and it's a big hit with each of the three dogs we currently have. One of our dogs is young, one is middle-aged, and one is a senior. And they all wag their tails and get excited when we put Nom Nom in their bowls. Nom Nom delivers food fresh dog food with every portion personalized to your dog's needs so you can bring out their best. Every Nom Nom meal features high quality proteins and vegetables mixed
0: with targeted vitamins and minerals to provide the essential nutrients dogs need at every life stage. Nom Nom's made with real, whole food you can see and recognize without any
1: additives or fillers that contribute to bloating or low energy. Our dogs love Nom Nom and we love seeing how happy it makes them. Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make real good food for dogs. Their nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists, made fresh and shipped free to your door. Nom Nom's already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs
0: like yours, inspiring millions of clean bowls and tail wags. It feels great to see how
1: much our dogs enjoy Nom Nom. Plus, Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Go right now for
0: 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com
1: no Nobody. Spelled dot nom.com slash nobody for 50% off. Try slash nobody. The pandemic affected a lot of things in our lives. And I'm wondering how you feel it impacted sensitive people. Did it make people more willing to be open about being sensitive? That's a fun question. I don't
2: think I've been asked that before. I love that. <laughs> I, I I can't speak for every sensitive person. I can say that I think there's been a, a sort of move in our society more generally where it's becoming more acceptable to talk about both your emotions, which is great. And also just about the things that make you different, you know, whether that's neurodiversity or all kinds of other aspects of how just we're not all the same. And I think there's a lot more openness to that. I think that the word sensitive still carries a certain stigma, but the pandemic specifically had this kind of weird side effect for sensitive people. Um, I think our modern life, we talk in the book about the early sociologist Georg Simmel, uh, this guy in the early 1900s, he was invited to give a talk in 1903 in Germany about the glories of of modern progress and modern innovation. And he showed up to give this talk and he kind of just threw out the script and and went in a 180 and just started talking about how, yeah, the modern world has given us a lot of innovation and a lot of good things, but it's also taking a, a toll on our mind. And he spoke about how people have limited amounts of mental energy and then in a world which at that time had phonographs and streetcars and electric lights for the first time, and, you know, everything's bustling and cities are crowded, in a world that was becoming more stimulating, people burn through their mental energy more quickly and they couldn't always keep up. One side of them, you know, the side of you that's motivated by achieving things can sometimes keep up. But the side of you that's about connection with other people and contemplating and, and you know, sort of your inner life can't always keep up and you get burned out. And he talked about how people are essentially, he didn't use this word, but essentially too sensitive for modern life. We're a sensitive species. Now, if you think about the last 100 years since he gave that, 120 years since he gave that speech, we've only gotten more hectic. We now have these little devices with constant notifications, constant information. There's no end to it. Um, And I think a lot of people, whether they're low, average, or high sensitivity... We're starting to really feel the strain of our 21st century life of always being on, of not only having to work late hours, but then the boss can also text you when you're at home about to go to bed. Um, that kind of stuff was catching up to us. And I don't think a lot of people appreciated it. Sensitive people can feel it oftentimes before others do. And when the pandemic came, you know, we had the great pause. Everyone kind of took this step back and started to reevaluate their priorities. And I think that's paid off for not just sensitive people, but our whole society.
0: I thought it was so interesting in learning about whether sensitivity could be inherited. You write about what the children of 9-11 survivors can teach us and say that studies showed that children were more likely to develop PTSD if their moms, not their dads, also had it. So what, what can that teach us?
2: Right. So this is a really fun question. So, so being sensitive is largely genetic. There's a component of like with most things, there's a component of of how you're raised and your life experiences. But there is a component that's in your genes. And that includes what kind of experiences your parents, especially your mother, went through. Because you your genes kind of inherit this coding about how to interpret some of their genes. Um, and it's called epigenetics. And these epigenes or epigenetics kind of tell your body like, okay, well, we have the gene for this, but maybe let's, let's turn it up a little more than we would otherwise, or maybe turn it down a little bit more than we would otherwise based on experiences that were shaped by your parents before they passed those things on to you. And for sensitive people specifically, there's this fascinating thing. What kinds of environments produce people who are more sensitive on average? Well, it turns out it's, Not just the best environments and not just the worst environments, it's both. If you have a middle-of-the-road childhood or if your parents had a middle-of-the-road kind of just average life, you know, you had some people who were supportive, you had some struggles, but it's a kind of average. um, That doesn't prime you to be any more sensitive than you would be otherwise. But if you had a a wonderful childhood where you were just surrounded by support and you had really well-adjusted parents, the kind of childhood I think most of us wish we had, or if you had the opposite, of really abusive, terrible childhood, unfortunately, um, both of those tell your genes, we should become more sensitive. And the reason for that is if it's a really difficult, abusive environment, your genes are saying, hey, turn up the sensitivity because we'll notice things coming before they, they get here. We'll, we'll notice the next threat before it arrives. We'll be able to predict if dad's going to yell. So that's why you become sensitive in a bad environment. But in a good environment, your genes are doing the opposite. They're saying, hey, turn up the sensitivity because... That'll let us process everything more deeply. That mentor we have, that love we're getting, the help with the homework, all these things. There's no cost for us to turn up the sensitivity because we're getting a lot of support without a lot of struggle. So let's get as much out of it as we can. And sensitive people actually have this special gift that we call the boost effect, um, where you're able to get more benefit out out of positive circumstances than other people would. It's a powerful, powerful trait to have.
1: I know you say a better word for sensitive might be responsive. Elaborate on that, if you will.
2: Right. So if you're a sensitive person, it really just means that you, you take in more information from your environment, you respond more to it. So everything affects you more, but you do more with it is a good way to put it. And sensitive people tend to think about things longer. They tend to feel things very strongly. They do have strong emotions. That's one part of the kind of image of a sensitive person that tends to be true. Um, And when you are processing everything in the world more deeply, it's almost as if the volume on the world is turned up a little more. So you notice the subtle textures of fabric and you notice the the slight aroma in the air and those kinds of things, which can be beautiful and, and wonderful and fun. And you also notice the things that, Maybe are for other people just fine. Become like a little too much for you, right? Like really loud music or or a really crowded room. A lot of sensitive people are introverts, and a lot are extroverts. But even the extroverted sensitive people don't tend to love being in big crowds for very long, because it gets overstimulating. You're just more responding more to your entire environment. Um, But I think the biggest and most important way in which sensitive people respond more to the environment is that boost effect. And the boost effect basically means that let's say that you have, let's say, let's say two people both have something good going on in their lives. And it's the kind of thing that would help either person, right? So for a kid, uh, if you have a good stable home environment, you are more likely to have good grades at school. And that's true for both of these kids. They both have a stable home, both going to get better grades. But if one of them is highly sensitive, they won't just get better grades from that home environment. They will end up at the top of their class. And we see this in study after study after study. So sensitive teenagers who were struggling with, actually teenagers in general, who were struggling with depression, who were given uh, a program on how to overcome depression, it helped the teenagers a little bit overall, but the sensitive kids fully overcame their depression and stayed depression-free years later. Uh, For sensitive adults who were uh, in a, there was a wonderful study that looked at hundreds of couples that were on the verge of divorce. They were in sort of high risk for divorce. And it gave half of the couples uh, a special program to teach them relationship skills and how to save their marriage. The other half didn't get that. The program is proven to work. And sure enough, it worked on average. It helped these couples overcome their problems. But then when the scientists went back and gave these individuals a sensitivity test, they saw something startling. The couples that did not have either person uh, being a sensitive person really didn't get that much out of the relationship intervention. They got a little bit of an improvement, but not that much. But the couples where even just one person was highly sensitive, were much more likely to save their marriages. And not only that, they tended to go on to improve their relationship quality. So they didn't just stay together. They actually got happier with each other. And this is the sensitive boost effect at work. Anything in life where you can get a source of support or uh, training or development, sensitive people are going to soak in more of that resource. They're going to process it more deeply. They're going to think it through more thoroughly, and they're going to come out the other side getting a huge springboard effect and just taking off like a rocket. So if you're a sensitive person, one of the most powerful things you can do is start to cultivate that supportive environment in your own life, because we can't control what we got as children. But as adults, you can look for a mentor. You can go to therapy. You can seek out a career development class. You can start thinking about which of my friends are really supportive and encouraging and make me feel good to be around. And which should I maybe start not spending time with and cultivate that uh, group around you that helps build you up because you will get more out of it. You will take off like a rocket.
0: We thank you for being a part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we want to tell you about our
1: sponsor, Daily Harvest, and a special offer they have just for you. Our lives can get hectic at times, so we're grateful for Daily Harvest, which delivers stress-free meals to your doorstep. Let Daily Harvest do more, so you can do less. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads, snacks, smoothies,
0: lattes, and more built on organic fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest works directly with farmers to source the best ingredients and freeze them at peak ripeness to lock in flavor
1: and nutrients. They never use artificial preservatives or ingredients. Daily Harvest is on a mission to make it really easy to eat more fruits and vegetables every day. With nourishing and easy to prepare options, I never have Have to think twice about what to eat for my next meal, snack, or dessert. Exactly, daily harvest foods
0: stay fresh in my freezer until I'm ready to enjoy them, helping me reduce food waste. And by the way,
1: daily harvest tomato and basil flatbread is one of my favorites. Mine too. And for a quick snack, you can't go wrong with daily harvest bites. They're the perfect combination of powerful superfoods and a touch of sweetness. Try daily harvest
0: bites in flavors like raspberry and fig or hazelnut and chocolate. You. You have to check out the Daily Harvest website to see all of the options that are available and be prepared to spend some time on the
1: website because there are a lot of delicious items to choose from. Daily Harvest is committed to human and planetary health, which means they do their absolute best to ensure transparency and integrity when it comes to their ingredients and the humans who grow them. By supporting farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity
0: and improve the health of our soil, and by delivering food in recyclable, and compostable
1: packaging where possible. Daily Harvest does the work. We just eat and enjoy. It's a win-win. So let Daily Harvest do more so you can do less. Go to dailyharvest.com slash nobody told me to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash nobody told me to get up to $40 off your first box. DailyHarvest.com slash nobody told me. For sensitive people, I think it can be really hard to be
0: in a high conflict situation and you kind of just get overstimulated and you want to walk away. So what strategies do you have for facing that kind of a situation that we all find ourselves in?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, because you're right. Sensitive people do tend to not only have stronger feelings, which can make conflicts more difficult, but, you know, emotional input is input. That can be overstimulating as well. And you suddenly get very emotionally overwhelmed or overloaded if someone is yelling at you or, or kind of unfairly criticizing you if there's a conflict situation. So I think the solution, it really depends on kind of what sphere of your life we're talking about. But if it's your partner, I think one question that you need to ask yourself is, of course, every relationship has conflict. That's to be expected. That doesn't mean it's a bad partner or a bad match. But you do need to ask yourself, uh, is this a healthy person for me? If you're in a relationship with a high conflict person or someone who does not uh, you know, respect you and the fact that you're sensitive, that is maybe a sign you need to reconsider the relationship at a deeper level. But assuming you're in a relationship with somebody who, you know, they have the best of intentions and they care about you, you're just having conflict with each other. I think it helps to open open up and talk about it very very directly and just say, hey, you know, I am a sensitive person and uh, it's really hard for me to do conflict. It's hard for me to do it when I'm right. It's hard for me to do it when I'm wrong. And I get really overwhelmed in the moment. And then I don't give you the best response either. Right. I, I might uh, start to, you know, let my emotions get the best of me just like anyone might. Um, so here's what would help me. And some of the things that would help would be, I think it's very useful for sensitive people to have a timeout policy with their partners where both of you agree in advance. You can't drop this in the middle of an argument. You have to both have agreed in advance that, you know, when we're starting to get into a tense moment before things escalate too much, either one of us can say, Hey, you know what? I need a timeout. And that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it. It doesn't mean you don't get to say your piece later. They're not cutting you off, but they're saying, we can't talk about it right now. Let's take an hour or let's wait until tomorrow. And then we'll finish talking about it. But I need to step back. I need to take time to process the feelings I'm having. And then I can come back to you at my best and we can talk about this calmly. And I think that's a powerful thing for really any couple, but especially for sensitive people in a relationship.
1: What advice would you have for parents who have, a sensitive child? What did you wish your parents had done?
2: Yeah, yeah that's a fun question. My parents, I think, uh, I love my parents. They were wonderful parents and they, they, they did the best they could for us. They were also working with what they had. And I think as Midwestern parents back in the day, they just didn't have the concept of sensitivity like in their lexicon, right? They didn't know what to make of, both my sister and I are both sensitive. They had no idea what to make of these two sensitive kids they somehow got out of the ether. Um, so If you have a sensitive child or a child who you just think might be a highly sensitive person, these are the words I want you to memorize. My son or daughter so-and-so is kind of a sensitive kid, and that's something we're trying to encourage. And you can use those words when you're talking to a teacher or a principal or a coach or another parent that they're going to go sleep over with or go to a birthday party, and that is a conversation changer. Usually when teachers uh, bring up the topic of a child being sensitive, I actually shouldn't say that many teachers these days do understand this, um, but they think there's still a lot of people in in just in the world in general who think of, oh, if a kid is sensitive, we have to overcome that somehow. It's like a flaw to be sort of overcome. And just straight out saying that's something we're trying to encourage. It invites questions like, oh, well, what do you mean by sensitive? Or why is it something something you're trying to encourage? And you start to have really good, interesting conversations with other people, other adults in their lives who are gonna have a huge impact on whether your child feels comfortable and accepted as a sensitive person. So that's with other adults, but I think with the child themselves, you know, with a sensitive kid, remember that you have the power to ignite the boost effect for them. You can be that healthy supportive environment that allows them to take off like a rocket. And a sensitive kid requires a different approach. my family you know, came from a long line of people who would yell about our problems at each other. And a sensitive kid doesn't do well when they're being yelled at. Most sensitive kids um, are really sincerely trying to do what they think is right and what's going to make their mom or their dad or their teacher happy. They want to be a good kid. Um, high sensitivity in general tends to be associated with a high level of conscientiousness. They want to do things right. Um, so your kid probably sincerely wants to behave well. And they also probably will respond much more strongly to just gentle, calm discipline uh, than maybe some other kids even would, because they can pick up on those subtle things. They don't need a loud voice or a really heavy hand. They'll pick up on the quiet voice and the really soft hand. So gentle discipline is very important um, and helping them understand their sensitivity, meaning that they know they get overstimulated and they know that that's okay, and they know what to do to deal with that. So if you're going to another kid's birthday party, you might say, hey, so this is going to go from, you know, noon till three. That's kind of a long time. Um, You know, if you get worn out, if you get overstimulated or you just feel like, you know, it's too much, uh, I'll be sitting with the adults. You can just come over with me where it's quiet. Sit with us for a little while or if you want, we can even leave early. Right. Um, Just let me know. Uh, It won't always be an option to leave early, but you can give them options and start teaching them to recognize when they're getting overstimulated before it leads to a behavior problem and start teaching them how to deal with it themselves.
0: The book really made me realize that I am a sensitive person and I don't know if I had ever really You know, describe myself as that. But I thought it was so interesting that you talk about the importance of having that advocate, like you were just talking about. Because as a child, my mom was always like that for me. I, you know, would have feelings I would want to express to the teacher or something, but I would be afraid to bring them up um, to the teacher. And I think that because she did that and she was always an advocate, I think that was so helpful in making it so that. As I grew up, I feel like I have become an advocate for other people. And I feel that that for parents is just so important as a strategy is really to 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 speak up for your child when they can't and then not say, hey, you need to be a big person mm-hmm. and you need to speak up." like uh-huh. that. That doesn't help if you're sensitive.
2: Yeah. yeah absolutely. And I think, especially as a parent, and I have a, a two year old son who, um, yeah, I think it's too early to say for sure i'll I'll be happy with however he unfolds, but he shows a lot of signs that he might be a highly sensitive person himself. And I think as a parent, it's it's important to focus on the many gifts that come with it. Sensitive people,, uh, we talked about how they tend to be more creative. They also tend to be higher in empathy. They also tend to be very aware of their surroundings. And there's something my co-author, Jen Graneman and I talk about that we, we call sensory intelligence, which is that attunement to your environment, which can pay off big time. Uh, surgeons in in hospitals are taught to be to have situational awareness, which is awareness of your environment, because it can save lives. Uh, people in the military are taught the same thing. This is a trait sensitive people have just out of the gate. So there's many gifts that come with being sensitive. And it's important to focus on that in your child, because as a parent of a sensitive child, you will see the downsides of sensitivity, every personality trait, no matter what it is, has its pros and its cons, there are drawbacks. And I think especially as a child before you've learned to uh sort of you know, could really get a handle on the overstimulation and, and sort of how you as a person work. Um, it can be hard. So, you know, there will be times your kid gets overstimulated and seems to have a meltdown. There will be times that you are struggling to help your kid understand their feelings, but you're also dealing with somebody who has a lot of gifts and um, can carry those forward for their whole life if you nurture them.
1: What language should we avoid when we're talking about sensitivity or especially when we're, to, we're, we're talking with kids about it?
2: Yeah, I think we all just need to retire the phrase you're too sensitive. It's just not helpful language. Uh, if you think of sensitive as being a synonym for being uh, creative, aware of others' needs, aware of your environment, innovative and, um, and potentially gifted, there's no such thing as being too much of that. Now, it does come with its its ups and its downs, and you have to learn about the downs and, and learn to handle those in your life. But uh, if you're sensitive, it's one of the best traits about you. It's one of your greatest strengths. And the same is true for if you have a sensitive child. So you're so sensitive, you're too sensitive, stop being so sensitive. That is language that's not useful. It's not useful any more than saying, you're too tall, stop being so tall, or, wow, you're yeah. a numbers person, not a writing person, stop being that way. That's not going to change and it's not good to try to change it. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. At the end (laughs) of each show, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about why being highly sensitive is a superpower that you wish you'd known when you were a kid and hadn't identified being highly sensitive that you want to pass on to our audience so they can identify it sooner?
2: Absolutely. That's a wonderful question. Um, So Many of the the greatest sort of change makers and innovators in history have been highly sensitive people. And if you look at the biographies of people like Charles Darwin and many, many others, uh, you'll see that we wouldn't have a lot of the things that we take for granted if there weren't sensitive people back then uh, and today we're using that deep processing to kind of help push humanity forward. So we wouldn't have the theory of evolution, we wouldn't have germ theory, we wouldn't have the first NFT. Uh there's so many contributions. Um as a sensitive person, you do have strengths. The most important thing that nobody told me and that I think every sensitive person needs to know. If there is one thing you need to do as a sensitive person, it is to stop hiding your sensitivity, stop denying your sensitivity and start to embrace it. Because until you embrace your sensitivity, you cannot unlock those gifts. You cannot access the boost effect. You will always be cut off from them. You'll still have all the rest. You'll still have the big feelings. You'll still wonder if you overthink things. And you'll still uh, be occasionally overstimulated. But you won't be able to tap into your gifts. So the moment you start to embrace and accept that I'm a sensitive person, and I'm going to just be open about that, and I'm going to lead with that, and everything I do, that is the moment you take off.
1: And Andre, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet and find out more about your work?
2: Yeah. So you can find us at sensitiverefuge.com. It's the world's largest site for sensitive people. Um, And we also have our book coming out, which is Sensitive, The Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World uh, that is available for pre-order everywhere books are sold. And it comes out officially on February 28th. So grab your copy.
1: All right, Andre, we thank you so much for joining us. This has really been an eye-opener.
2: Yeah, thanks to both of you. I appreciate being here.
1: Again, our thanks to Andre Solo, co-author with Jen Graneman of the new book, Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. And again, you can check out their website at highlysensitiverefuge.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owen. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.